Hello and welcome to Immigrantly. I am Sadia Khan. Before I delve into today's episode, I just wanted to thank all of you, my listeners, who have joined me today in this space to listen to my thoughts, to spend some time with me, despite having at least four million other options. I am so grateful. By the way, if you're not aware, we have three active podcasts right now, Invisible Hate, which we call an ethical true crime podcast, Bantedly, which is basically for Gen Z pop culture enthusiasts, and of course, Immigrantly, which is our flagship podcast. And we are working on launching at least three more podcasts, one of which will be focused on the election. Yep, a lot of good stuff coming your way. And look, guys, I've said this previously, but I think I haven't said it lately. If you like our content, then show some love. Write us a nice review. Whether you want to write a review for Immigrantly, Bantedly, Invisible Hate, doesn't matter. Just write one, a nice one. Or subscribe to us, download our episodes, share them with a friend. That's how we grow. We are still a small but mighty startup. And as we grow, we need your help to help us reach more people. With that, let's get to our today's episode. Now, for those of you who are our frequent listeners, and I hope there are many out there, you probably remember that in January 2023, I sat down with Amy Choi and Rebecca Lehrer, the co-hosts of the Mashup Americans. The conversation basically centered on their series on grief. We talked about grief, how we can understand it without over-pathologizing the sentiment, and why it's both universal and personal. What was most remarkable about that conversation was that all of us kept it light and honest. And I'm so psyched that I am sharing an episode from their podcast, The Mashup Americans, an interview they did with Lisa Ling, the celebrated journalist, executive producer, TV host, author, and mother, sits down with Rebecca and Amy to share her journey to heal her familial bonds, compassion for her mom, and hard-won friendship with her religious Korean mother-in-law. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And don't forget to come back next week for a new Immigrantly episode. Enjoy. You're listening to the Mashup Americans. Hey, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans. Rebecca? Yeah? You live with many generations of your family around you, like vertical, up and down, horizontal. Northeast Los Angeles is actually like Lair Angeles. 
That is correct. I'm nodding very hard. Mm -hmm. True. You know, and it's like one of the great delights of my life has been falling in love with you and your family and with L.A. I'm not going to say your husband, Neil, because I was in love with him before. But the way that you have so many layers of family and being in your home is like everybody's coming in and out. And like there's always, you know, oftentimes dogs that are not your dog that are in your house. I know. Just like, Rest in peace, Lola. Rest in peace. <laughs> oh, Lola. She really had a good life. She, really she did. did. She really did. But like I know your parents' dog and like I knew yes. her whole sickness story. Yes. Just the fact that I have been adopted in and we've kind of all adopted each other. Your parents have adopted me. Like every time your dad meets a new Korean person, he texts me because he's excited. Oh, yeah. like, Which is often. <laughs> it's, it's not infrequent how often Michael texts me about a new Korean thing that he's learned. But yes. like what he is a kimchi. <laughs> he really oh God, Michael. Love him so much. Mia, love you too. But I think your family does it and with so much grace. And it's also not easy. As somebody who does not have that, like I'm really close with my cousins, but those are relationships that I really worked hard on as an adult. I'm close with my sister, but my parents are far away. There's like, you know, a lot of shit going on with like intergenerational stuff. Having that, that interconnectedness Mm. that you have with your family, it doesn't come without a lot of work and also hard. It's hard. And I think still that's one of our ultimate rules for living a beautiful life is embracing the complexity of interconnectedness and doing the work to allow that to bloom. Absolutely. It's hard and beautiful. And like that, that's also maybe one of the mantras of a mashup life. Absolutely. How do you act with grace? How do you process all those things? It's so beautiful. And I'm you know, really lucky to be part of a Jewish community that I really love. And our rabbi, Susan Goldberg, gave a really beautiful sermon this year during the high holidays about interconnectedness and really how interdependent we all are. Mm. And one of the things she said that really, well, she really pointed out it's hard too. like sometimes mm-hmm. it's really easy to just be kind and sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> and but people being, are assholes. <laughs> That's a and, fact. <laughs> being in community is is the work, is what yeah. life is made up of. And it's also, you know, one of the things she said was, you know, we are not individuals. We're actually generations. And mm. that she wished for all of us to experience the deep hope of our interconnectedness. And so that is something that I'm really taking to heart this year is this idea of the the hopefulness of what it really feels like to be human, which is needing each other. That is so beautiful. And we have learned so much about healing through generations from our guest today, our friend, mm-hmm. the legend, mm. Lisa Ling. Lisa Ling. Mm-hmm. Lisa Ling is a journalist. You have seen her on CBS, CNN. She has so many shows of her own. She's done everything from embedding with notorious biker clubs to covering the LRA in Uganda to the humanitarian crisis in North Korea to hosting daytime talk show with her stint on The View. She's so amazing. She truly is. And she has transformed her relationship with her family through so much healing and plant medicine Mm -hmm. in a way that has opened up her life to living with her 
Korean mother-in-law? Korean mother-in-law, her (laughs) own mom, her sister-in-law, and just squeezing all the love and life out of the chaos that interconnectedness brings. Total inspo for me personally, for everybody, and we are in awe, and we're so excited to have her here today. Here's Lisa. Okay, Lisa. Okay. Here we are. Here we are. So Lisa Ling... How do you mash up? (laughs) How do I mash up? I I feel like that is a perfect way to characterize my entire life. Even (laughs) on the way Mm -hmm. over here, I am thinking about so many different aspects of my life. I mean, in one week, I went from this black tie gala where... Oprah and Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Nicole Kidman and Kim Kardashian were in attendance. And then the next day, I'm back at my home in L.A. and my kids are coming into my bed, unable to sleep at four in the morning. And Mm -hmm. I'm stressed out. I'm trying to clean up all the laundry that (laughs) is strewn all over the place and You're like, how did this just get here? Yeah. It wasn't it, here 12 hours ago. I, I mean, I was gone for less than 24 hours, and it's just like Armageddon at home. But then several days before I went to that Black Tie Gala, I was embedded in a, a little town in Colorado, and I was observing three generations of women at a psilocybin retreat. They were all drinking mm. psilocybin tea and <laughs> off on another planet. And so... I, I feel like the word or the, the, the term mashup is synonymous with my my life and has been for the last more than a decade. <laughs> I feel like you well, you are a living embodiment of mashiness and mashups in so many ways. One thing we wanted to ask a little bit about at the start before we get into like current life is to give us a little of your life, like growing up life. So you grew up in Sacramento, is that right? I grew up in a little suburb of Sacramento called Carmichael, California. Oh, my God. And What a name. <laughs> Carmichael, yeah. yes. Mm, Carmichael. When I was growing up, it was otherwise known as White Michael. Uh-huh. <laughs> because uh-huh. it, was, <laughs> it, it was such a non-diverse community. There mm. were so few Asian families. How did your family end up in White Michael? Well, it's interesting because my grandparents came to America in the late 1940s And they both happened to speak perfect English. My grandfather was educated in the United States, um, got his MBA in the United States. My grandmother studied in England. And they came here with high-level degrees, but they couldn't get hired to work in finance and so on. Mm -hmm. So they ended up living in a converted chicken coop and eventually salvaging enough money to open a Chinese restaurant. And because they spoke such... Um, good English, they were able Mm. to move away from the predominantly Chinese community in Sacramento to Carmichael, to Mm. White Michael, Mm -hmm. and open Mm. the first Chinese restaurant ever there. Mm. So that's how I ended up in Carmichael. So you grew up in White Michael, and then you, your parents... Are both your parents Chinese-American? My mother is Uh Taiwanese-American, and my father is 
Chinese American. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh-huh. these days it's very, very important for me to make that distinction. Uh-huh. Actually, not these days. I, I have made that distinction for a long time. But because there were so few Asians growing up, I really didn't know much about my Taiwanese identity either. It was just yeah. so much easier to say Chinese. I was already different because I was Chinese. So to have to explain that Taiwan was a different country at the time was just wait, too much for a little girl to be able to handle. Were the grandparents who opened the restaurant your paternal or maternal grandparents? Paternal. So those were my Cantonese, Chinese, American grandparents. Mm -hmm. My Taiwanese grandmother, my mom's mom, she didn't speak any English. Mm -hmm. So both my grandparents passed away when I was in my early 20s. And people always ask me, like, what's your greatest wish? What's your biggest wish? And my wish would be to have one more day with both of my grandmas because mm-hmm. they were so special and important to me. And there's so many things I want to ask them, but particularly my Taiwanese grandmother, because we couldn't speak to each other. There's just so much about her life mm-hmm. that I I never, I, I will never know. I also think that's a thing about grandparents. Those of us who are lucky to actually have gotten to spend any time, you're very lucky if you, while you're developing as a young person and they're declining as an older person, that there's a moment where you're at a a place where you are open or able to engage really beautifully with them and they're still lucid and engaged because then you could have intimacy, which is not always the case, right, with somebody older. Well, so my mother and my husband's mother became grandparents to my kids very, very late. I have a seven-year-old, and my husband's mother is 91. Mm -hmm. And she loves the fact that she has these young grandchildren who can come over and they want to be there because she says most of her friends have grandkids who are all grown up and they just don't have time to spend a lot of time with her. there would be great-grandkids at this point. At 91. too many layers. Exactly. But on the other hand, um, I don't know how much time she has left on the earth. I mean, she's 91 and yeah. she's been having some some health mm-hmm. challenges. And so the notion that my kids won't get to spend significant amounts of time with her makes me so, so sad. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, both my mom and my mother-in-law are at our home because they live a couple blocks away from us almost every single night. <laughs> We have many questions. There is a lot of food that's cooked every single night. There is a lot of um, advice being doled out to Paul and me every single night. And it's highly overwhelming every single night. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Yep. Um, Paul once said, is it too much? It's like the advice will not stop coming. It's not even advice. It's like... Mm, like they don't directly say like why are you feeding them this it's sort of like mm, like these they, like these sounds <laughs> mm-hmm. um can you do a difference is there like korean mother-in-law versus the guttural it's the, the more the korean uh, is definitely more guttural as yeah. as amy can attest to. i'm very familiar with that sound i i wasn't even doing it justice it's more like Mm. It's like this deep, mm. like nasal, throaty, yeah. guttery. There's some, there's some yeah. mucus moving yes, around. Yes. <laughs> Joe Coy actually has a great interpretation: is that an older Korean person always sounds like they're stoned when they're talking yeah. to you, judgy and stoned. Ugh. It's like yeah, nah, nah, mm. <laughs> Oh my god. 
<laughs> There's something that, you know, we have been discussing a lot, and this has been kind of thematic over the year, but it has been coming up in a lot of these conversations as we think about what it means to build a good life, about the stories that we tell ourselves and the narratives that we build and whether or not they're true, right? And like how stories get interpreted through generations. And so it, it's really something magical that your girls are young, but they're not so young that they're going to have to rely on your story of your mother or Paul's story of his mother, right? They're going to be able to have living stories themselves that they have created with each of those people that they can carry for the rest of their lives. It's like so magical that you're creating this for them. Because I, I think that with a lot of mashup families, because of language divides, because of literal physical divides, I mean, now it's so much easier because like I'm 40. Three? No, 44. No, I'm 44. <laughs> Me growing up, it wasn't like I could FaceTime a cousin in Korea. Yeah. That that was just like not a reality. So if you were not with your family. No, you would call, if you ever talked on the phone, it'd be like, you have to just say hello to your grandma and then hang up for us because it was so expensive. It'd be $22. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so I totally appreciate that you have just been like, maybe this is madness, but this is our madness. And you're giving your daughters this gift. Yeah. Yeah. And I and. They are still very young. I mean, my daughters are 10 and 7, so they will have those memories. Yes. But, mm -hmm. you know, they'll be just just shorter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They'll be a little more limited. But nevertheless, it's so, so important for me to allow them to just have some. I always find it amazing as somebody who does not live close to their parents. And my sister, who I'm very, very close to, lives on... It's silly. In New York City, it's a mile and a half, but it, she may as well live on the other side of the world because she's in Manhattan and I'm in Brooklyn. Is that like, are there invitations extended? Do you make a plan with either of the moms or are they just. Oh, no. They, oh, no. They they have keys to the house. They're in mm -hmm, the house mm -hmm. before we even get there sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, invitations are extended. Not. They're just they, it's, <laughs> our domain is their domain. I will say as a person in a couple where it's just my family who's over all the time, I really appreciate that my husband's just like, yeah, they just walk. They just walk. Like the gate opens to the side of the house and there's just like always one, some member of my family, brothers, <laughs> parents, whoever, maybe even a cousin. And uh, but you both, you know, that's kind of nice. There's equal opportunity uh, invasion, which I kind of love. <laughs> oh, it, it, this, it, it gets better. <laughs> it's not just the grandmas who are in our house. Um, my husband's sister lives in our house. <laughs> oh, um, oh, hi. Hi. And my <laughs> cousin, Dorothy, she, you know, when I travel or, or, or have to work, she sometimes comes and stays in the house as well. So it's really sad for Paul. And we have a female dog <laughs> because Paul has just been estrogened out. <laughs> that's why he has that's why he has to do all these trips. He's like, I gotta go escape. He's gotta, these people. He's gotta go hang out with the dudes. <laughs> yeah. But but so it's not just the grandmothers. They are the loudest, but the house is always full of people. And my sister-in-law, who I absolutely adore, she doesn't have kids um, and has a very successful career and a house, a beautiful house, not far from us. But she was recovering from a heart condition, uh, a heart operation a number of years ago and came to recover at our home. And my kids just, they love her so much. She's, yeah. our, she's my kid's godmother. 
and she plays with them. I am not a good player, <laughs> but she does arts and crafts with them. She will bake with them anytime they want. She plays and plays. And so after she recovered from her surgery, my husband and I were like, will you please just stay here? Rent your house out. Please stay here. And so it's been great. When my kids wake up in the morning at 5, That's they so know not rude. to come in at our into our room anymore. They go straight into Coco's room. And the name Coco is really cute because um, auntie in Chinese is Kuku. Mm. And in Korean, mm. it's Como. And so they kind of combined it and call her Coco. Oh, that's so, that's a great mashup. It's a great mashup. I but, love it so but much. But she is known by everyone now as Coco, which is a combination of Chinese, Korean, you know. Oh, that is the cutest. Ideas. So it's like, seems that there's also a lot of intention, even to say to Paul, you know what, there's not that much time. So let's, let's just make the most of this chaos while it's here. Well, also... Our culture in America just doesn't doesn't value um, our seniors. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it was inadvertent that our lives kind of ended up this way. But when you think about how people in Asia live, they often do live with multi, they have multi-generational homes. And Mm -hmm. while I never thought that that I would live that way because I grew up in America. Yeah. <laughs> I just it's it's so beautiful. It's chaotic and 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 loud, but it's so beautiful. I love having so much family in my kids' lives and in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time. I actually have a question for you about as you, you know, you've been in therapy and you you're you're you're, you're you've mined a lot of your I like thoughts about yourself and how you exist in the world, and your husband is doing similarly, with these wonderful ladies in your home, who may or may not be the cause of some of those things, when they're with your children, are there moments where you're like, I'm extremely triggered by this right now? (laughs) Like when they're like, say something to your, although they're different with the kids, with grandkids, but like, are you ever like, "Uh, this is why I have to go to my bedroom, because... This mother saying something. Yes. <laughs> so Paul and I, though, you know, our lives were obviously different and, and we are of different cultures. Um, we had some similarities in our upbringing. My parents, my parents were divorced when I was seven and my mom moved to Los Angeles. And so she was not in the house um, most days because she was geographically quite distant from me. And my dad worked all the time. So it was my grandma who was in my house mm. who who was taking care of my sister and me. And, this is the British educated one. Yes, uh-huh. yes. And Paul's parents, they worked all the time. And he was an athlete, you know, and he played every sport. And he's just uh, readers. He's very tall and handsome. He's very tall. Strapping. Yes. And he's, um, he's... if you want to know if Lisa Ling's husband occasionally posts a thirst trap on Instagram, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. But we we thirsted. We thirsted. I don't know what the we react respectfully. We respectfully. Very respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's he's a cute guy. Um, he's a tall drink of lemonade. So neither of our parents were around, I think, as much as we would have liked. Mm. And so they're so opinionated about how we are raising our kids. Oh, yeah. 
And mm. neither of them are shy about divulging what they think we should be doing. Never. In raising our kids. And so there's so many times when Paul and I are just like, why didn't you do that when we were kids? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's really hard sometimes. And we've gotten into some big fights with each other, with them. And, uh, you know, we've both stormed out of the room or we've just become apoplectic. So, uh-huh. so yes. Oh, and Paul's also, he's got some, he's he's got 50% Korean rage. So it's just like it's embedded in there. I would I, say I it. it's seventy five percent. Oh, seventy five percent. We're we're inching closer to the boiling point. Well, and, and particularly when it comes to things that may have a direct relationship with his upbringing, you know, because mm. when you're a young kid and you 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 harbor those feelings of abandonment or um, rejection or whatever, and it continues to go unresolved for your whole life. It can mm-hmm. manifest itself in very negative ways. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, I think this is particularly applicable in Asian communities where there isn't as much communication or affection. It's really hard. So I think that's one of the reasons why it really frustrates him <laughs> um, even more than it frustrates me. And it frustrates me. This is so... Wow, Lisa, this is the past 10 years of therapy, just like doing, 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 bubbling. I will say, you know, so my older sister, who basically raised me because I had a very similar situation where grandmothers would kind of pop in and out of our lives from Korea and like kind of rotate around the the cousins houses taking care of us when there was like the most need. But my sister, who's six years older, by the time she was like 12, was responsible for me. She's she's exactly your age. She's she she just turned 50 this summer. and. I think for both of us, I watched her go through this huge exploration, which I have learned that Paul has done as well. It, but it it it's almost like you don't even know, and I'll speak for her and me, is that you don't even know what you thought you needed or that you missed until you have children of your own. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, fuck, what are these feelings? Why do I feel this rage? What is happening here? And this act of like kind of reparenting yourself and then while also trying to learn how to be the kind of parent you want to be to your kids is wild. And I just feel like that act of being like, oh, this is actually what I want or this is what I need and how I want my family to be. But, oh, shit, I have so much healing to do because I, there's still like a little kid inside of me that didn't get the things that I'm, I am I now I'm seeing that I missed or that I wanted. Well, this is why it's so important, and I'm so glad that we are having so many open discussions about generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I think it's, mm-hmm. it, it's easy for us as parents to, and because we're still harboring so much of that resentment mm-hmm. about what we didn't get. Because we're still people, too. Exactly. Yeah. And in some ways, we are still stunted as children. Um, because we didn't get those things that we really needed, it, and it didn't resolve, it sort of festers for so long. And so Paul and I have done a lot of healing over the years, and we've both come to a place where we don't just think about the issues of abandonment and and the lack of affection that we experienced from our own parents ourselves, we think about, and I'm going to get very emotional here, like 
how much our own parents needed that. Yeah. And one and yeah. I think the reason why they were unable to show it to us is because either it wasn't part of their culture or they didn't have models for it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and so over the years, Paul and I have, you know, where we had these resentments um, for our our parents, what they weren't able to provide for us, we have both transformed and really started thinking about trying to offer that kind of affection um, to our parents because we know that they didn't have it either. Oh, and, Lisa. And in some ways, we are we're becoming the teachers mm-hmm. that even I think mm-hmm. our our parents still need, you know, and it's really made our relationship with our parents and our family just so much deeper. Um, plant medicines have helped. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Oh, no, I'm you. crying. I'm crying. <laughs> I am so in awe, Lisa. I, here I am. I'm like wiping tears. Yes. I'm going to try not to snot all over my microphone. But I just think that that level of curiosity and compassion is what I feel like I've been trying to get to. For a long time. And it's, it's so hard. nice to see that you got there. It's it is really hard because so many of us are just have these deep scars. Mm. And it's impossible to think about our own parents, not as our parents, but as a similarly stunted child. Yeah. Right? Who didn't get what they needed from their parents. And when you really stop and think about it, our parents didn't just have parents that weren't able to show affection. They went through wars. Yes. Yeah. They went through poverty. Yeah. Yes. They went through and experienced things that in our wildest dreams we can't even imagine. And so that's another layer of trauma and closed offness that yeah. they are harboring inside of them. And so, and again, plant medicines really helped us see this, that we all need healing and that um, the resentment directed toward our parents is sometimes really misplaced because it's not their fault, you know, it, it's Ooh. and it's not their parents' fault, right? It's this trauma that has lived with us intergenerationally that we can't pinpoint, but it, it makes sense that, you know, if you don't have a model for how to do it, how would you ever know how to do it? Also, how yeah. could you process so much of the stuff that they experienced? There's no processing the wars or the tr- or like, oh, all my aunts were murdered. Like, how are you supposed to like? You have to compartmentalize that stuff. You have to shut down in and, order and to they're keep doing living. that, and yeah. they do that to try and protect their kids. Yep. You know, I came to this country because I want to give my kids and and future generations a better life. Right, but. I could never talk about it because I don't want to think about it because it'll take me to a dark place. I'll go into a deep depression. But I also don't want to um, burden my kids with this trauma that I'm still holding. I also think there's just so much loneliness. Um, I've sort of observed this in my the immigrant generation is I think this makes me really sad, but I think they feel really alone in this world. Uh, because in order to make their lives work or have had made it possible for our lives, there's a sense of being so self-reliant 
and then distrust of anyone else being able to get shit done. And I, um, I don't, and I think that's a very, just so painful. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so multifaceted because that generation, their eyes have seen so much, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and you can bury it, but you can't pretend that it doesn't exist. Yep. And sometimes it manifests itself in ugly or angry ways. Yep. On top of the fact that there's a lot of pride in Asian communities, but so many immigrant communities, you know, there's a whole concept of saving face. Yeah. And so the idea that you are not maintaining a certain life, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons yeah. why Asian culture is just like, is, is so materialistic. Oh my God, we just had this a, conversation. It's, it's a way <laughs> yeah. to show what I've earned and 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 where I've come. And it's it's validate all the things that you have sacrificed. Yeah. In like your Fendi bag. Absolutely. Well, here's here's a tactical question. You've done so much work and so much healing and created so much compassion and empathy in your home. Did you either of you talk to your moms about it? Was this a conversation that was had in that direction or was it just like kind of an acceptance and a re reforming of family bonds. Oh no, we've talked to our parents um and in fact we 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 talk a lot now and in the case of my mom who, you know, who who left it when I was 7, my sister was 4. It's like I grew up thinking like how do you leave a kid kids when you're that age? And you know, I was living I was with my dad and my grandma and we were in a stable community and my mom was not stable at the time and um, and I, I, I had that resentment. I was holding that resentment for so many years until I had a, a plant experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. And oh my God, rather than going back to my childhood, it's going to sound a little esoteric, but, um, I just, I have to talk about it because it was so profound rather yes. than going back to any episodes in my own childhood I went back to my mother's childhood. I relived oh, aspects wow. of her childhood. And they were so hard and they were so dark and so sad um, that the next day I came home from that experience, I went to my mom's house and I held her like she was a child. And I told her that I will take care of her because nobody had ever told her that in her entire life. My mom and so many immigrants they're just they, they're just hustling <laughs> they're just hustling they're just trying just to survive take, everyone just wants to be taken care of actually yes yes now you have a child the age that your mom left right mm, yeah are are you when you look at your your baby well you've had two yeah. go through that right so the youngest one is that age Oh, I guess they're probably the same distance that you and, yes, and my Laura sister, are, yeah. right? So when when your elder was seven and and your younger was four, what 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 happened in that moment for you? Was there an awareness of oh, this is a this is a Rubicon we're crossing? What was bubbling up for you when your kids were suddenly the age when your mom did? Dude, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go there. Um, well. 
let's just say when you're one of the few Asian kids in an all-white community, kind of upwardly mobile community, but you don't have, you know, you're pretty, like, you know, lower middle class, um, you just want to pretend that everything's fine and that it's all good. Yep. And, you know, when you're the only kid whose mom isn't at the parent-teacher conferences or at any of my activities, um, you just become good at painting a picture. Oh, she's at Mm. a work thing, Uh or she's not able Mm. to make it. Meanwhile, she's living in another city, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But what I came to realize, you know, I was hiding so much as a kid, is that we all hide so much from mm-hmm. other kids. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the kids that I went to high school with who I thought had everything, mm-hmm. the perfect lives, the perfect homes, the perfect cars. Later on when I would catch up with them and they would tell me like my dad was cheating on my mom or, you know, my mom was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Or, I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought you had the perfect life. And... Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 that has really allowed me to feel so much more compassion for human beings. Totally. And, and also you have no fucking idea. No like, idea. Especially when you're going through things. In, in, in my life, there's been, let's just say, some like acute trauma moments where like some, let's say somebody died. Like, and then you have to go get something like because you're a human being who's still alive. Like go to the grocery store. And it's the fog of that. And you're just watching other people shopping who probably didn't have somebody die hours before. And you're like, wow, whenever I'm shopping on a normal day, I have no idea who else in this store, who working at this store, who, you know, anybody, what is happening in their lives right now? I have no idea. And if I can have that, give people grace or have that compassion in the world, just give, you know, not, not, you can say no to assholes while still giving like a little more of a buffer for grace because there probably is somebody walking in the grocery store who is dealing with that. Yeah. And Rebecca, that's one of the reasons why, you know, in my work as a journalist, it's been so important for me to highlight people or communities that you may think one thing of, mm-hmm. but really never taken the time to understand or get to know. Mm. And so often, you know, because we've covered so many marginalized communities or communities that might be considered sort of outsiders, um, so often so many people talk about these moments in childhood <laughs> mm. when something happened, some kind of trauma or some... Um, you know, abandonment or some fight or something that happened that just never really resolved itself. Mm -hmm. And that kind of sent them off onto a path that was unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, it it, it makes me just think about how important it is to try and encourage each other to try and look, to go deep as hard as it is. And so, you know, fortunately, we are living in a time when when there's an elevated consciousness about this, about mm-hmm. dislodging those deeply held traumas that so many of us are carrying from childhood mm-hmm. and bringing them to the fore, no matter how difficult it is, and trying to finally find some resolution and healing. What if I was like, I'm so traumatized by people's Instagram comments. It's like, you know, <laughs> the, the, the misuse of 
the misuse of trauma. Totally. Also. It's oh like my such a funny, you're like, no, 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 that's not it. Yeah. That ain't it. Yeah, lady. exactly. <laughs> I just think that there is something also, and we've, the, another kind of ongoing theme is just reminding ourselves because Americans are often convinced that we invented the thing or that this is a new experience. And I think what you're talking about here, especially in relationship to intergenerational families and how to bring families closer, it's just, this is where I bring up the Joy Luck Club. Sorry to be the middle-aged best Asian movie lady ever. Who does this best movie ever? But you know that that idea of stairs—that I'm a step, and my children are are part of my staircase, and mm-hmm. so are my mothers and their mothers and their mothers and their mothers—and just remembering that we are bound to all of those generations, mm-hmm. forward and back, and we can decide how we want to reshape it. But that does not mean that we can exist separate. And I think that's a very not American idea or something that we reject so thoroughly that it actually does so much damage to us because we're, we're constantly thinking we can just reinvent ourselves. And yeah. like we can and we don't reinvent ourselves from a blank slate. Absolutely. This is something, though, on a sort of lighter note. And I say this as the only non-Chinese or Korean person here. Sort of lighter. Sort of lighter. Okay, (laughs) so light. This is this is every day. We have actually had speaking of Chinese Koreans, Aquafina on our show several times, and her grandmother actually giving some dating advice. And we've asked many people in our community over these last many years, what uh, ten years of the Master of Americans, what dating advice did you get from your immigrant parents? And one, most of it's racist, but. and this is racist but positive, is that uh, Korean uh, oh. parents, mothers always say, marry a Chinese man because he'll cook for you. And so I wanted to explore that here. Um, you've, you did the reverse. And how do you feel about that advice? Do you feel that that's resonant? Well, I probably didn't have that experience because I am the woman who married a Korean man. Mm-hmm. Because... <laughs> When my well, that's because all the Korean women married the Chinese men. <laughs> <laughs> there had to be, you're like, I scored. <laughs> well, I had so, I had, I have so many Korean girlfriends. Most of my closest friends are Korean women. And they would tell me that they wanted to marry Chinese men because they took care of mm-hmm. the women. And they told me not to date. Korean men, because I've always been, I don't know why, attracted to Korean men. Because they're hot. Because they're hot and (laughs) have a lot of swagger. That's why. Yes. So I, you know, ended up with this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And when his mom found out that I don't cook at all, again, she didn't didn't actually say anything. It was just like, oh, oh, you don't, Um, you don't cook? No, I don't mm. know how to cook at all. It was Mm. It was like that, like, <laughs> mm, I'm like, I'm trying to get as low as she, mm. <laughs> she was not happy oh. that nobody was going to cook for her son. Uh-huh. Because in the beginning of our relationship, she would even call me and I would answer hello and she'd go, how is he? Oh, <laughs> Rather than, how are you? Uh, how what's what's been going on? It was just how is he? <laughs> oh my god, my face is hurting from smiling. <laughs> um, because the first son in Korean culture yeah. is, you know, he's the falcon of the family. He's the one on whom one should dote mm-hmm. and take care and so on. So so initially, it was a little bit 
um, disconcerting, but I couldn't I couldn't lie and and tell her I cooked when I don't you know I burn scrambled eggs. Um, <laughs> so I think she was somewhat displeased by that, especially <laughs> because when I first met her and my mother in law has a very strong personality and is very opinionated. I don't want you to know that there was a question in our in our notes, which was. How do you live with your Korean mother-in-law? I didn't write that. Amy did. I, I Just wrote for that. context I wrote that. of, okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> and for the record, I don't live with it. I have a Mexican mother-in-law, and that's enough. Right, 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 And right, she's right. far away, and she's <laughs> a thousand miles away. Okay, go on. Right. So um, the first time I met his mom, he invited me to a family gathering. Mm. And, you know, I was feeling a little, you know, it was my first time. You know, it's a house full mm-hmm. of people. And Korean people, people, all Korean people. Uh (laughs) And who it turns out both Lisa and I love Korean people. (laughs) Love. (laughs) Turns out. Mm -hmm. Love. And I'm like, you know, all my friends are Korean. I got 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 this. this. (laughs) You're like, yo, paseo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I had my whole like, I bow. I I say, oh. The first thing that my future mother in law said to me, she didn't smile. She took my hand and she said, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Oh, <laughs> oh she's that. I knew that. She I knew it was is. coming. Oh, wow. And you know, I am rarely at a total loss for words. <laughs> I mean, even even you know, in uncomfortable situations, I I usually have a retort. I found myself just completely speechless. I like my mouth was dry. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> what am I gonna say? God, Korean people are so intense. <laughs> did she did she put Bibles like in your house everywhere in no, every drawer? No, no, she gave me one later uh-huh. on. But anyway, so mm-hmm. my response was, I grew up going to church. Oh, mm-hmm. um, yes, I used to go. I used to go to church every Sunday, and then I just kind of like left it at that. And of course, I was met with. Mm. <laughs> Again, I, I I I got used to that sound, mm-hmm. I, and I'm not even doing it justice. No. <laughs> so that's kind of how our relationship, my relationship with my mother-in-law, kind of started off. And but you gave her grandkids. Well, I did, but like, <laughs> mind you, my all my close Korean girlfriends warned me about mm-hmm. the Korean mother-in-law. I mean, they warned me. You know, incessantly, like, oh, my God, you sure you want to do this? You're going to get a Korean mother-in-law. And, (laughs) and, you know, look, I'm a journalist. I can embed in, you know, any kind of community. And so for me, it was like, I, you know, I'm okay. I I can win people over. You know, it's what I it's what I do. And I'm a kind person. And so when I was met with that first question, I was Uh like, oh, shit. You're like, I didn't know this is real. This is the warfare. (laughs) I was not prepared for this. Yes. And then followed by the "Mm." after she found out I couldn't cook for her her son. That was just like, oh, my God. Like, is this real? Like, is what my girlfriends is what, you know, what Alice and Shin and Cindy were telling me, is that real? And it it was real. Well, so what are the what, what would you say are like the rules of engagement in your Chinese Korean House and marriage, because it feels like there's a lot of levels here. I mean, I do think that if I were Korean, my relationship with my mother-in-law might be different. You know, Mm -hmm. I think there are things about language that I just don't understand that may have been more present had I been 
Korean. And I know that, you know, she and her husband would have loved for Paul to marry a Korean girl, just like my parents would have loved for me to, you know, marry marry someone who was Chinese. But I will say that while I was I was initially spooked, and again, because my mother-in-law also just has a very strong personality, and at the time she was sort of incapable of not offering me suggestions and, mm-hmm. you know, just divulging her opinion, um, she has become one of my best friends. Mm. And oh. I respect her so much. I respect her journey. I respect, you know, her the life lessons that she bequeaths to me and to my kids. And she is she's such an amazing person who has accomplished so much. And um, I just I love her. And even though i I don't believe what she believes, I happen to have a pretty impressive biblical, uh, repertoire. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, when she comes at me with a, uh, you know, something Bible that she verse. thinks is biblical, I have a retort very often um, because I'm familiar with um, much of the Bible. And I think she respects that I at least have the knowledge. I, it isn't a decision that I've arrived at um, erroneously mm. and that I am a very spiritual person Mm -hmm. and that God is a very important person in my life. I just have a different path Mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. I believe that people do have different paths other than, you know, that one path. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still, you know, religion is still somewhat touchy in the household, but Mm -hmm. there is such a, a deep respect for the 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 human and even the faith. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, her faith has gotten her through so much. Mm. And and so I really respect that relationship that she has, you know, with her faith. I mean, I, I, I truly love her. And, you know, I don't just consider her my mother-in-law. I really do consider her my friend. And I, you know, call her about things. I ask her advice. And what do you call her? Not on the phone, but like what what name do you call her? Um, well, I mean, before I had kids, I would call her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But since having kids, they shortened, you know, you say halmoni, you, you call a, mm-hmm. a Korean grandma halmoni, but they call her Hami for mm-hmm. short. And so we all just call her Hami. Everyone uh-huh. just calls her Hami. I love Hami and Coco. I know. I know. Hami we have these little like really le- little pet up. names. It's so cute. <laughs> it's so mashup. It's so great. Okay. I have two two final questions to wrap up. Okay. Okay. So one of the great entry points into all of our lives, I think, of getting to know each other, and we think about this all the time, is just a gateway to everything is food, right? Yes. One of our big questions, not a question. It was just a it was a it was a statement that was in our notes was Chinese versus Korean. Oh go. And I'm gonna say Korean wins here. Oh, for sure. For not well, that it has to well, be a competition. As far as preference is concerned, <laughs> I will always choose Korean food over Chinese because I, my body just craves like fermented stuff Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) and I just, I love the flavor of kimchi Mm. everything and like kimchi jjigae is like my favorite thing. I dream about it. But Paul, who is Korean American, will always choose Chinese food. Oh, wow. Wow, this is just a very interesting thing we have going on here. I did have some delicious naengmyeon last night. I was like, I have a tummy ache. I'd like some cold noodles. It's my kid's favorite. In fact, Mm. both my kids, you know, I, growing up, I, I hated, you know, smelling like Chinese food. I never wanted to eat Chinese food. I just wanted McDonald's and spaghetti. 
but mm-hmm. my kids both always want Asian food. They yeah. have a preference for Korean food, but they like Chinese food too. Um, but they and they insist on taking Asian food to school. And yes. so, yeah, they are they're proud of every aspect of their Asianness. Oh my God! Wait, I had a dream about your daughter, Amy. In a, my daughter, it, mm-hmm, in relation to to exactly this, which was we were explaining like how different and wonderful it is. Just be like, that's thirty years of people making this possible for you to then just feel like fucking proud. Like yeah. there's no yeah. no no noise about any of it, yeah. and no like. Like to even be like, wait, you were worried about that, mom? Like mm. that, it's so brilliant and cool. Yeah, like that seems wild. Wow, I have damp tissues just at my feet right now in my booth. But I think my final question, and I know this is Rebecca's as well, When whenever we are in the presence of greatness, just you are a woman who has done so much with your life and your career and your personal life and gone through so many transformations. You're a, a hugely successful mother of two young kids who are exactly the same age as my kids, actually, 10 and 7. Mm. And uh, Rebecca's has seven two kids four. right up on the way. Mm-hmm. Is just... Can you leave us with any tips as to um, just fucking how? Like how? How are we supposed to get? How does it all work? Because, and just for context, um, I did have to go to an urgent care yesterday for something that was probably a panic attack. A stress-related panic attack. And it's just you. We watch you navigate this world. We know it's not easy. And we have worked with you. We have gotten to know you. And it's just been so, so great. And we want to know how you do it so that we can do it too. <laughs> well, if for some reason I have conveyed to people that I know how to do it, <laughs> 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 then I have really fooled a lot of people. <laughs> because, oh my God, I, I it is so hard. Yeah. It is so, so hard. And that's why I just, I will continue to fight for moms and, you know, advocate for moms because it is so hard. I'm very lucky that I have a spouse that um, will do a lot of things that, that you know, many male spouses refuse to do. You know, I'm very, very lucky. And it's still hard, yeah. you know. And so yeah. to those moms who are shouldering everything, I just, my respect knows no bounds. And, I mean, the only thing I would say is, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help mm-hmm. because I think we mm-hmm. in our culture, you know, when someone calls us a super mom, we kind of wear that as a badge of pride, you know, when it, those are impossible expectations to uphold. They're just impossible. And yeah. I would like us to, 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 you know, just allow ourselves to be vulnerable and just say that, like, I'm going fucking bananas, you know, and that totally. I and I need help. And you know, I it, every single day it's a constant like, Lisa, you need to get your shit together today <laughs> because totally. it's chaos all the time. And yeah. we are, no matter how supportive our husbands or our spouses, if we have them, are we are still the ones who are are maintaining all the schedules in our heads mm-hmm. and making sure that you know mm-hmm. this person is there and this you know and and. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. But just like, you know, just give yourself a break and don't don't think you need to do it all and don't be afraid to ask for help. I think the asking for help, which is a great way to wrap this idea of what we're talking about, an intergenerational home and also like some of the stuff that we come up against as mashups, as like first generation and as women and then like in the context of America, this sense of like, 
self-reliance, yeah. which you can't rely just on yourself in the world. And I think I'm not that good at asking for help. I'm very good at providing help. Yeah. But I think that yeah. it's a good reminder. And it's okay when you borrow things from other cultures. Ours yeah. isn't the only way, you no. know, it shouldn't yeah. be considered... Yeah. You know, to be taboo or whatever. Yes. You know, in some parts of the world, they actually do things better. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. How dare you, Lisa Lisa Ling. Ling. <laughs> Lisa, we love you. Thank yes. you so much for being here. This you was guys, so, love you too. so great. So fun. And... Now I need to go into therapy again. <laughs> no, uh, my, uh... Although that was so good. That was so good. <laughs> wow. The way that the entire floor of my booth was just like a foot high puddle of snotty tissues at the end of that conversation. <laughs> she was surprised. Lisa was surprised. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, so was I. So was I is what I'm going to say. And I'm just so grateful that she shared her story because I think I'm turning a new leaf. I mean, like maybe next year for me, it's like Judaism and, and, and a lot of psilocybin. What do you think? Do you think I, it goes together? <laughs> Uh, absolutely. You know, Ram Dass was a Jew. Uh, love this for all of us. <laughs> Next week, we'll be joined by our old pal, Rain Wilson. Maybe it surprises you that he's our old pal, but he'll be coming to chat with us about all things spiritual and how to find your spiritual path in a world that sometimes feels like basura. You will not be surprised to learn that we laugh a lot, too. Make sure to catch the rest of the ultimate guide to a mashup life every week this fall and like and follow the Mashup Americans wherever you get your pods and tell your friends. And if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, do it. MashupAmericans.com slash subscribe. Love you. Bye. This podcast is a production of the Mashup Americans. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lair. Senior editor and producer is Sarah Pellegrini. Production manager is Shelby Sandlin. Thanks to DJ Rob Swift for our theme song, Salsa Scratch. Additional engineering support by Pedro Rafael Rosado. Please make sure to follow and share this show with your friends. Bye.